welcome to The Founder Factor, where we interview some of South Carolina's most impactful entrepreneurs. So today we're doing another special episode where we're actually sitting down with the Designly founders. So Designly is an app development company based in Greenville, South Carolina, and they're actually the co-hosts of the Founder Factor podcast. So today we figured we'd do a little bit of a new spin and focus on what it's like to build a services business. Well, welcome to the show, guys. Caroline. <laughs> Hey, it feels good. It feels good. I've been behind the scenes for a while. I know. Seriously, <laughs> usually you guys are like right behind the screen and now yeah. it's, it's fun being at the table. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, yeah, let's let's do this thing then. So yeah. I've, I've got a uh, I've got a topic pitch for you to, right. to, to, to spin this thing. So we, we run services companies, obviously, and, and you interview a lot of great folks with product companies or, or product enabled services. Um, our businesses, of course, are you do web design, we do app design. Um, and Josh and I actually were, were sitting down with a high school buddy uh, last week, and he's looking to start a concrete finishing business, a services company, a trade. Um, and we were kind of reflecting on, you know, we're trying to help him figure out the principles that would lead to success right, there, yeah. right? So he's, he's got to do marketing, he's got to do sales, he's got to have kind of a, a good delivery process. And it kind of hit us all at once that the the things that he could do um, to lead to success are are pretty much all the same things we've been thinking about at Designly for mm -hmm. 10 years now. And I'm curious how much of that overlaps with what you do at Word of Web. And so maybe we yeah. talk about the, the principles to a successful services business and do that. That sounds great. Yeah, I, I've definitely seen over time that there's a lot of overlap and kind of operating standards across industries with services businesses. Mm -hmm. So I think, yeah, I think that would be a great topic to delve into. Okay. So let's do it. <laughs> I, I guess, where, where do we even want to start? Do we want to start with what you should be thinking about launching a services business? Well, I think what's different about kind of maybe to start like t trying to figure out what's the difference between a product company and a service company, mm -hmm. because a lot of what we talk about are services or, or products, um, and that's what we develop. So a lot of you know, products we make, so some of them have a, have a service component, but right. products are kind of interesting because the, the way they work is you have to spend a lot of time, money, resources to build something. Um, and you kind of have to get product market fit. You have to get timing right. You, there's a lot of iteration there. Whereas services are completely different where, you know, usually it's pretty well defined. There's not usually a new brand new service offering out there. Mm -hmm. um, concrete finishing is a good example. Um, you know, it's been around for a long time. But and it's also services usually, at least in kind of the way we're thinking about it, are usually more localized or mm -hmm. they can be more localized. Um, whereas products, I think, are typically more global. Not always, but um, oftentimes. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think it's kind of interesting just to compare and contrast, like, what does it take to make, you know, a product successful versus service? Mm -hmm. You know, products require big initial investments, services. You can usually start it by yourself. You could be one person starting a service company with almost no budget. Right. I, I think that's probably one of the interesting things mm -hmm. um, that draws <clears throat> Keith and I to services in general is that you can start it with, you know, zero money. And that's how we got started, too. Yeah. You, know, you don't you don't really need you don't need a a big backing. You don't need to raise a bunch of money. It's a lot lower risk. Maybe harder to scale, but it's mm -hmm. definitely easier to start. So tell me about the beginning of Designly. <clears throat> like what did it look like launching Designly for you too? Same thing as as this future concrete finishing business. You know, you you we we found a you know someone willing to pay dollars for for an outcome, a service, and then we figured out how to make it happen. You know, <laughs> so the the founding story of, of Designly is a little bit muddier than that. Josh and I had a uh, had a 
crowdsourced app idea competition website out of college called Applets. Um, classic college dropout story, you know. <laughs> and we were, we were, Except I'm not smart like that. <laughs> dropping out with limited success thereafter, you know, not, not starting Facebook. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I no. A, I don't have a B. I don't have a billion. Yeah. 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 How Too many, bad. How many, how many commas are you at right <laughs> we'll, now? We'll, yeah. we'll invite you back, you know, <laughs> when you yeah. have that B. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it'll be a while. Um, yeah, so we, we you know, had kind of the the moonshot, oh, let's do a, a monthly app idea contest and, you know, let, let's let's build apps that the community upvotes and split the profits with everyone that helps. So it was kind of this like, oh, let's build the next consumer-facing app mm-hmm. product. Um, trying to be a product company, trying to do stuff that's, you know, scalable and sexy and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and how Designly started is people were coming to us saying, oh, I don't want to submit my idea to this public forum, this this voting place, kind of like Reddit, where you upvote, downvote, and, yep. you know, we, we go and build the highest voted one each month. Instead, can I just pay you some dollars and, and you can build it for me? And we're like, uh, sure, because Applets made like two grand over three years, you know, so what, it wasn't a, <laughs> wasn't a making money-making enterprise. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, again, back to the, the you know, how services companies start. You know, you, you, you find someone willing to pay money and then you figure out how to make it happen. And that's exactly what we did for Designly you know, 10, 10 some years ago. And, and did you start out with this mentality of like, OK, I'm going to we're, we're going to grow a services business, grow a team, you know, or, or did you start out with more of the like freelancer mindset? And I feel like sometimes that's just a terminology difference, yeah. but it does seem to denote like a really important mindset difference. So just curious how that started out for you guys. We um. It, we always kind of thought services were like it was like a dirty word. We didn't like yeah. we didn't like services. Oh my gosh, I completely agree. <laughs> yeah, because like everyone's like, oh, you got to like products are you know they sell for a bunch, and you got to raise money to do a product. And you know, it's when we started our business, it was like in twenty twelve. Applets when we started Applets, yep. um, and Instagram had just sold to Facebook for a billion dollars, and we're like, wow, this is like you know. Obviously, products is where it's at. You know, services companies, you know, that you, when you And you hear service. about products so much more, you know, like in the news, <clears throat> like all the cool entrepreneur stories. It totally. feels like they're all about, like, you build an app, you know, you grow it, you sell it. Like, that. that's sort of the, the typical narrative you hear. And I think that's where the really, really big money is made. I think products, you make more money. If, you, if you're successful with it, you will probably make more money because you can scale it a lot more. But it is more risky inherently. Um, but I kind of remember a turning point in where we, there was some article on Inc.com. It was like, what to do with your shitty little service company? Or something. Tech oh, you oh, guys sent that yeah. to me. Yeah. We sent it to you. Yes, yeah. I related to that. Yeah. <laughs> it was on, it was on, yeah, I think it was TechCrunch. And it was like talking about how, yeah, you can make a really great service company. Um, you don't have to do, you know, a tech company or, you know, not tech company, but you don't have to do a product um, to run a great business. Um, and I think that's totally true. Um, so I think when we started, we we were trying to think of ways to productize our service. We were trying to think of like, oh, like how can we build like a platform? We tried to build some platform for kind of managing your app scope. Um, and it was just like, it, we just found it distracted us from the goal of servicing customers. Um, but yeah, so at, at first it was just kind of this, you know, we didn't really want to do services, but it grew into the, into something that we love doing and it's it's really it's profitable um it's fun there's a lot of unique challenges and you really can scale them a lot right. so it, why why you know why why is services a, a dirty word or something you're ashamed of if it's the the most i would say it's the most guaranteed the highest chance of success path to making millions of dollars a year mm. <clears throat> you know, that you keep instead of waiting 10 years and maybe you know 
exiting. Instagram. But I guess your point, you don't always require a big upfront investment. Yeah. Either. You know, you don't have to go and raise a series A to start a services business. Yeah. You know, you might not make any money or not too much money the first year or two, but like if, if you then grow it well, you know, then you're at least it. You typically, it seems at least in my experience, you have a lot less debt to pay off. You, yeah, totally. you don't have to raise. You don't have to raise money. You don't have to have a stakeholder that you know you you worry about. I mean, you can start a this you know concrete idea or or anything. <clears throat> yeah, any, any sort of local service. You can post to a Facebook group, and you know people post on these groups all the time about yeah. jobs they want done. Um, or you could post you know what what you're looking to do. Um, th- there's tons of opportunity to win jobs on social media. Mm-hmm. Social media is a very small part of our business. Um, but with the exception of this, I would say, because it's one of these things that, you know, people buying, spending a lot of money on an app don't find you on social media. Mm-hmm. They, they Google your name or they Google, like, how do I build an app? Uh, yeah. You know, how do I build an MVP? That kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but for um, but for like localized services, you can definitely start them with no investment, posting on posting on social, winning jobs that way, using your own personal network. You don't I don't think you need to spend I mean, not a dollar, but you can, you know, you can build it organically for, for a while before you really need to start like investing that extra level, you know, mm-hmm. completely. Yeah. Let, let's go back to the, um, the, your friend who's building the concrete, concrete finishing business. Is, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. So what similarities are you seeing in terms of the challenges he's facing and the challenges you guys faced early on? Like, let's talk about the parallels between services industries or services, businesses and other across industries. Well, let's do it with Word of Web as well, from the perspective Great. of of, yeah. of both of our companies. Yeah, I think it'd probably be helpful to to have, you know, talk about the categories. So you have you have marketing as a category or a silo of like you know needs of, of stuff you got to do well. Then sales, then delivery. I, I put delivery in one camp because he's Mister Delivery for Design. Yeah. Like he thinks yep. about that, <laughs> and, I, and you know sales marketing is two silos that I think about. Yeah, um, but obviously that's that's equally as complicated, more complicated. Um, so I guess starting with marketing <clears throat> is an easy place for me to think about. Um, I think. You know, the, the thing we've found with Designly is is online reviews that that builds the presence a ton. Um, and I think most companies like us, you you start by thinking, oh, I need to have one or two or three years under my belt and some satisfied customers. And then I can start asking for reviews and build that presence. It's kind of like a down the line type of mm-hmm. thing. I'll, I'll think about it once I get off the ground. I think you know, think about this green, this this concrete finishing business, I think that ideas flipped. I think you think about that first yeah. because Agreed. the reality is you go and, and search Google to his point, you know, localized stuff, concrete finishing Greenville SC, and you see, oh, okay. The, the first result is Yelp. And there's only three companies on there with none of them have any reviews. Yep. Second result is, you know, the, the Google places listing of stuff. The, the top company there's got 20 reviews. Mm-hmm. Third is Thumbtack. And okay, that's, that's another directory site. That's the exact same thing we do when it comes to app development. People mm-hmm. type in top app developers and great. We have you know, tons of reviews on these sites and, and that's why people find us. But when you localize that, <clears throat> no longer are you selling apps to the world, you're selling concrete finishing just to this area. Yeah. The competition's way lower and the review counts are way the heck lower. So I think the way you know you launch a concrete finishing company is you go and, and find your first you know, five, 10 customers by posting on Greenville Young Professionals Facebook group. Yep. And uh, you say, okay, here's a line item discount and it will give you 20% off, 30% off, I don't care, whatever it is. Um, 
in exchange for you giving us a five-star review on this website, Yelp. Yeah. You do that You do that five times, and now you're the number one rated you know, the, concrete yeah, company yeah. in South Carolina because the, the bar is so low. Yep. You know? And the ability to maybe even, you know, as part of that discount, you say, you know, can can we use your testimonial as part of case studies? Exactly. And then, you know, as, yeah. have we, as we've discovered, case studies are great for blog content on your website. They're great for more in-depth um, you know, reviews of different projects you've done for clients. Um, like at least with my business, I found that well case said. studies have been, yep. have been very helpful. Exactly. Yeah. One of the things I thought was interesting to you asked, like what, like what is, like what are the challenges that he has in scaling this or like starting it? And I think that's kind of where it's really helpful to find mentorship. Um, and that Keith and I have talked about this a lot. You know, we were involved in like some of um, like investing in local startups um, th through a, a Greenville angel fund. Um, but I, I think th there's two different ways to think about investing, either doing a passive investment where you put some money towards something and you know, maybe advise every once in a while, or taking a role where you, you invest in businesses that you know you can have a direct impact on the success of them. So mm -hmm. that's something where, that I'm personally interested in because um, investing dollars into uh, or in time into a business that you can teach somebody, hey, you got to get reviews. You have to, you know, if you want to, kind of dominate local SEO, you can write a um, series of blog posts targeting the keywords and that have very low competition. Yeah. Um, and for I, not that much money either, you know? Not much at all. No. Like one blog post will pretty much take that, you know, the top right yeah. for that keyword, which is really crazy. Um, so yep. I, I kind of would say that the, um, the things that I think a lot of people struggle with is they just don't have the knowledge. Um, they don't right. really know kind of what steps to take. So right. I think... Um, coming in and just saying, hey, here's like a, a blueprint of what you need to do. Um, this is how we made Designly successful. I, I think that's kind of how you can make a service, you know, any service business mm -hmm. um, that kind of plan will apply to with, with some like slight modifications. But, yeah. Um, well, one thing that I think about a lot, you know, in product development world and even web design world, we think a lot about this concept of an MVP, like minimum mm -hmm. viable product. Mm -hmm. You know, how can you get to your goal or at least like a V1 version of your goal with as little investment as possible so that you can test it out, iterate on it, you know. I actually talk to our web design clients a lot about that idea in terms of marketing because um, we're, we're very upfront with clients. Like we just do the website piece. We don't do digital marketing outside of websites. So we don't do, you know, we don't run ads. We don't do social media. We do search engine optimization, but only the website piece. Um, but of course, like a website is just part of a larger marketing strategy. So usually when um, clients will come to us, they'll you know ask, how do I get my business in front of more people? And a website's one part of that, but then the rest mm -hmm. of digital marketing is the whole other part. So um, I never claim to be an expert on this at all, but the advice that I usually give people that's seemed to work for a lot of businesses, especially small businesses, is you know start by getting a website. To your point, start by setting up a Google My Business page. Mm -hmm. Uh, get reviews. And then, you know, if someone Googles, um, at, like when you're first starting off, a lot of your business is through referrals. So say you have this concrete finishing business. Concrete, I was going to say concrete RS. Concrete is us. <laughs> <laughs> so they Google, you know, concrete is us. <laughs> and then that little Google My Business page, that little right yeah. tab, you know, the right <clears throat> hand of Google uh, search results pops up. You see reviews like that instantly gives you a stamp of credibility. And yep. in the early days, I feel like having that stamp of credibility is really like the biggest part of getting started. It kind of creates that flywheel. And then from a technical perspective, like those reviews 
are excellent for Google uh, search results for, yep. for SEO. So um, I always advise people like do the free stuff, like set up Google My Business, get reviews, maybe write some case studies yourself mm -hmm. and just see how far that can take you. Like I think you can get really far in starting a business before you even invest like a single dollar in marketing. Agreed. Um, I, I think about it a lot too in terms of running. You know, you, 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 you train to get to that, you know, whatever, seven minute mile and then it's 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 really hard after that to get to 650 640 like you can make a big impact by doing little at first but then to like right. really start making those uh like significant um th those incremental changes after that point then that's when you really have to start investing it's a great analogy yeah, well, the block and tackle stuff is often missing especially from <clears throat> trades companies where you know they're busy on their phone at job sites you know, not, not thinking about this type of stuff. Yeah. And you could even yeah. hire what I tell people too, is you can, you know, hire an assistant, like for a couple hours mm -hmm. to help with this stuff. You can, you know, hire an intern. Like it doesn't have to, I think there's a lot of just admin type responsibilities and setting up, like getting reviews. I mean, it doesn't yeah. take that much time, but it still takes time. And you sometimes always have to follow up with people yeah. for those reviews. So, you know, you can delegate that for not that much money and I think a pretty big impact, a lot more than, you know, hiring a marketing agency right out the gate. Totally, for sure. And kind of on that MVP topic, I think one of the things that's interesting about, uh, I'm gonna take this concrete finishing thing again because it's a, it's really relevant, kind of topical for us. Um, you know, we, a lot of these businesses have a, a large capital investment if you were to buy all of the equipment. So like a concrete finishing machine, polishing is a good, is kind of what we're talking about. Um, where you kind of like take the concrete and make it rough and then you know, from take it from a rough piece of concrete to a, a nice like shiny piece of concrete like you would see at like Costco on the floor yeah. or something. Um, what's interesting is that I mean, one of those machines might cost 20,000 bucks, might cost $50,000 depending on which one you get. Um, it, it, there's a broad spectrum, but kind of you don't need to buy that stuff right off the gate. Like that's, if you were to buy that right away, that's a huge risk you're taking. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to, you know, um, either get a loan or pay cash if you have it. And that, that's not worth the risk, I don't think. Mm -hmm. Instead, you can kind of make it an MVP and you can go to, you know, a rental company and rent that machine for a certain amount of dollars a day or a week. And then, you know, that's that's something you can do without even having to, to purchase the, the equipment. Mm -hmm. um, there's ways to, you know, maybe you don't have the truck to transport it from point A to point B. Well, a lot of these companies deliver, so you can do that. So you, I think a lot of people don't realize that you can start a service company, even if it's a resource heavy company, um, you can start it for really minimal, really minimal investment, especially if maybe you don't even have the money to do the first job, well, ask for a deposit. That's where to mm -hmm. deposit to cover yeah. the rentals and transportation and the initial materials. That, half, that's up, half up front. Right, yeah. half up front, yeah. <laughs> that covers your Always rental. Half up front. And yeah. you probably do that anyway. You know, yeah. it's like, that's one of those things yeah. where I, I think you can start with pretty much pretty much nothing. Um, as long as, you know, you can kind of hustle and I don't like that word very much, but as long as you can kind of hustle and like, you know, get on social media or, you know, get your first, you know, job from somebody in your network, mm -hmm. I, I think you can start a service company with pretty much nothing. What strikes me with this conversation is that, you know, even though none of us are building a product business, I mean, we're both building products in our business, but in the services business, like, you know, we're not building a product business ourselves, but I think the three of us use a lot of product principles in mm -hmm. building a services business. You know, like even what you're talking about, you, you have to think about like, what is the kind of minimum viable thing I can test? How do I get to that point? And, um, 
like, oh man, I struggled with this a ton when starting Word of Web. Like you're not going to get the first version perfect. So I found myself uh, having the tendency to want to like streamline everything, get the customer experience just like 100%, you know, everything all buttoned up, mm -hmm. neat and nice. And then I could start selling. And then, you know, I ran out of money. Like you, you just can't wait to start <laughs> selling. <laughs> Sounds right. So yeah. sometimes it's like, yeah. I think there are kind of two approaches. You can, you can, um, you know, sell something that might be kind of a trial version and just communicate clearly to a client like, hey, we're just piloting this for the first time. We'd love to partner uh, with you on this, maybe at a discount, you know, with kind of the agreement that we're working out the kinks together. Like, mm -hmm. I think people appreciate that, get that, you know, a lot of them have done the same thing with their business. I think another approach is like, just take a chunk of your services business and just sell that piece. Like, if you have, um, we did this for a, lot, a while with, uh, we were starting this website blueprint thing, like similar to the um, Solution Lab. Like you are selling kind of the strategy planning for a website. And uh, we just like tested out that specific piece with clients to make sure that we could really hone in on what needed to be changed with that service before we like, you know, tried to pitch the whole thing, like the whole website implementation process to clients. So, um that leads me to another uh, train of conversation I would love to pitch, which is like, how do you, what other product principles do you think are helpful in thinking about like building a services business? Um, like in terms of scalability, in terms of interchangeable parts, like what are some other principles you guys have used in Designly? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, no, I, reviews obviously is one. The, the biggest thing I think though, as far as any sort of service company or um, product company is um, is kind of doing what you are gonna, say what you're gonna do and then actually do it. Um, kind of setting up expectations um, for, for, for services companies like this concrete thing or even designly, you know, I think kind of laying out what you're doing and then executing on it is super, super key. Um, the, there's a uh, there's a phrase something like um, happiness equals uh, reality minus expectations. I think that's true in pretty much any sort of business you run. So as long as you set the right expectations and deliver on it, I think that's that's key to running pretty much any business. Yeah. Um, I guess that applies more to services than products, but I think it's kind of true in any sort of line of work. Yeah. Agreed. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how much of what's in my mind applies to products as, as well as services because we obviously are a, a, in the services world. But um, <clears throat> when, it, when it comes to you know starting a, a new thing, I was thinking a lot about the the sales process and making sure you have a CRM. And you know, again, you're a busy trades guy on the on the move. You're getting calls, you're getting texts, you're getting emails, you're getting contact forms on your website. It's it's chaotic. And the first thing to slip, of course, is like the the diligence around the process of mm -hmm. making sure you know you're you're putting it all into HubSpot, for example, logging it to a lead, putting a deal value on an opportunity, saying, okay, my next follow up with that guy is next week Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Task, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and so you know that that again, not not very related to products, but when it comes to concrete finishing. And, and designly and word of web, mm -hmm. um, I was kind of thinking about. I, I was thinking about you know th that that sounds pretty basic, but applying sales principles that we have done for the last ten years to a new business, I would imagine that type of block and tackle stuff leads to m much greater success. And so, for example, you're overwhelmed. You're a sole proprietor doing concrete. You're you're getting overwhelmed. It's okay to let your phone go to voicemail. It's okay to have a text autoresponder that says we reply to. 
inquiries the next business day from eight to 9 a.m. That's our window of when we communicate. Other than that, we're on job sites. Setting the expectation, expectation, expectation setting. You don't need to answer the phone at 9 p.m. Took us a long time to realize that. You too, probably. <laughs> yes. um, and, and the reason you do that is, is tied back expectations, yes, but also tying back to an excellence around diligence of the sales process, making sure no balls are dropped. You know, I, I get I get quotes for my, you know, f- flooring in my house and the guy comes and, and writes a quote in the back of the business card and hands it to me and I never hear from him again. Mm-hmm. There's zero sales process. Yeah. He doesn't have a system. Then that I feel like that's common in this world. So if you let the call go to voicemail and the text gets not a reply, why do you do that? Well, okay, the next day you're in HubSpot and you initiate the callback from HubSpot. You initiate the text back from HubSpot. That logs that action to your CRM. Yeah. It records a transcription and the recording is like built into that after you're done with the text, HubSpot comes back up on your phone and says, what did you say? Do you want to add a task? It's a lot more advanced than my HubSpot system. <laughs> I need to copy paste this. <laughs> yeah, I, I can give you my little like note sheet for this guy. Yeah, um, but but you know that type of, of block and tackle stuff. And okay, why do you initiate the callback from HubSpot? Because then you kick off a sequence and yeah. you, 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 it's automated and it says, email or, or text this guy every two days until he sets up a 15 minute discovery call. Mm-hmm. And he does it via my HubSpot link. So the second he gets that on my calendar, this, the automation is over. Yeah. And now it's up to manual sales to call the guy. On the phone call, don't let the guy hang up. If he's serious, say, schedule the next thing, right? Mm-hmm. Can I come out to your job site for an hour in-person consultation? Mm-hmm. Get that on the calendar, send him a Google Calendar invite because mm-hmm. proactive communication is key. Yeah. And you're already going to schedule it yourself. Might as well show it to the customer and send him the invite too, yeah, because exactly. that makes you seem really buttoned up. Seems basic, but again, that doesn't. People launching services companies don't think about that stuff until you're five years in and overwhelmed. And and you always think you're going to remember, like, you know, oh, I need to call that guy in two days. Like you never you remember. remember. You never remember. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you have to have it in the system. Yeah, I learned that the hard way. So the automations, the sequences, you know, to get people on the on the calendar. Um, you know, that, that, that kind of sales stuff that yeah. we do, I think is interesting to think about how that applies to all right. service companies. Again, totally unrelated to products. I, I don't know how that applies to. Yeah. I guess what I was trying to get at with the, <clears throat> with the uh, kind of the, the question about like what product principles might apply to services businesses. I think there's, um, a hesitation with services businesses, uh, like when starting them, because they, they seem like inefficient in a lot of ways. You know, mm. I think when people. Well, I'll personalize. When I started out, I was like, okay, I guess, you know, I, I got to just charge hourly. I guess I'm, even if I'm billing for a project, I'm billing just like hours times 20, you know, just, I, I think that um, it can be hard starting out a services business because yeah. you you think about everything being manual. I think there's this tendency to think about a services business as like a consultant where you're just like billing hours. It's like how much time you can produce. Maybe you have a team, but it's then how much, like how many hours they can produce. So what I was trying to get at is, you know, do you think there are any like lessons that um, we can take from product world or even even not just, you know, from your own brain, whatever, that can Mm -hmm. uh, be used to think about how you might reduce that inefficiency with services businesses? Like in terms of pricing, um, in terms of like, growing a team, you know, how do you make a services business be as lean as what product businesses often are? I think you can start with like a, any business, I think you start with the MVP, kind of like we talked about, like you start with something that's small and then you grow it based on where you're kind of seeing your need. Um, You know, I I think if you start with a service that's, um, you know, or a product, I think you start small, 
um, and you don't automate things in the beginning. I'm actually not a believer in automation on day one. We mm-hmm. tell our we tell our app customers this too. It's like if you have a certain budget, don't waste your money trying to automate something that you, you have you haven't experienced it yet. So if you start spending a lot of right. time on it, then put the investment in for automation. Right. For HubSpot, HubSpot's a great example. We use that as our CRM to manage our our leads. Day one, do you need sequences and you know uh, all these crazy things set up in your pipeline and templates and all that stuff? No, definitely not. Mm-hmm. You don't need that. Um, as long as you cannot drop balls on the well, sales hours. Yeah, but yeah. you also don't know what you're going to sequ- make a sequence yet. Correct. So, so, so yeah, like true. maybe after yeah. the first month, you're like, okay, I send the same email all the time point. and I'm just customizing this. And from a br- one more thing, from a branding perspective, something I tell people a lot is like often when you're first starting out, your like personal touch, I'm going to work with you directly. Like that's part of your sales pitch. True. And so mm-hmm. sometimes automating on launch can hurt that too because you want every customer to feel like they are having like the most true. boutique experience. For sure. And eventually you find a way to do that, even with automation. Yeah, <laughs> you find right. a way to make it seem super boutique. Yeah. 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 Uh, so so I, I think I think you grow into automation. You don't start with it. Yeah. Um, and as far as kind of other things, um, you know, I, I um, other learnings. I, that's probably the big one, honestly. As far as like pricing, um, I think you have to kind of figure out what works for your business. I mean, there's plenty of people who do. You know, we, our business does um, for designly. We do hourly pricing yeah. for certain projects or dedicated teams. We are essentially um, purchasing a whole team, and you pay monthly. You have like a yearly contract, so you have a stabilized resource. Mm-hmm. It really depends on the business you're doing. Like if you're if you're cutting somebody's lawn, it's going to be a little different than if you are doing a one-time job like pressure washing someone's house mm-hmm. or you know painting a, painting a kitchen or something. Um, I, I think. The pricing has to kind of reflect the type of job you're doing. Um, For us, you know, I think hourly makes sense. Dedicated teams make sense. But um, other, you know, and we used to do fixed price back in the day. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work for software very well, um, at least the kind of software we build. But for other people, fixed pricing projects are much better because you can say kind of, hey, this this piece of work has a um, value that's, you know, it's worth 10 grand to the customer, but maybe you can deliver it really, really quickly using your expertise that you have. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you charged hourly, you would have only made $2,500. Right. So concrete's a good example, right? You charge, charge by you know price per square foot for the warehouse to polish the floors. Mm-hmm. That That's kind of a fixed price gig. Yeah. Um, and You're right. It does you depend go, on the nature of the work. You go and rent the five grand machine that takes you a week or you rent right. the 20 grand machine that takes you a day. Your, your cost of goods is yeah. hourly, of course, if you're, if you're paying a, a crew. But um, there's less concern, your concern around making my time feel like I'm getting, you know, compensated. How do you not bill hourly? That, that doesn't apply to a services yeah. company. But, but even with you guys, you know, you're try- or at least as I understand it, like you're, you're, you do hourly, but then you're, you're giving people like an expectation of what that total number is going to be up front. For I sure. think that's totally. actually oh, very yeah. different yeah. from how a lot of services businesses run. Like, Take a lot of law firms, for example. Like you have no idea what that in bill is going to be. You know That's the true. hourly rate you're paying, but you don't know like how many hours it's going to take to you know right. draft up an NDA or something. So mm-hmm. even just subtle shifts, I think, like that are important. Like you can still you know bill hourly, but give people an expectation of okay, like here's what we estimate that final hourly count is going to be. Yeah. We're accountable to this deliverable at the end of the bucket of yeah. a thousand hours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah, giving good estimate, uh, good good estimates, good quotes that, and you can when a customer can see where that quote is coming from. Um, it, that's what we do. We, we kind of have really these detailed estimates that show kind of you know wh- where is your development budget and design budget going. Yeah. 
um, which is really key, I think, to our business, to getting people to say yes, and then having great supporting sales documentation saying, this is how we work, this is how we get paid, this is how we ship your product. Mm -hmm. I, I think doing the same thing in any line of work is is key. And that, that goes back to that that happiness sort of thing. It's like you, you need to set the expectations and then you know what what is the actual reality. If you can match those two things or if mm -hmm. you can make the reality better than the expectations, you're gonna you're gonna have a happy customer. Yeah. Um, so that, that's like super key to I think any product or service. Mm -hmm. Right. And and the three of us, just because you know we talk a lot about this stuff, I know we we mm -hmm. have uh, each structured our businesses in a way that's like you aren't just someone isn't just coming to us and saying, you know, like Hey, we, we, you know, we, uh, we need help with this thing. Like, we're going to tell you exactly like what we want done with this product. Like we're in a lot of ways, I think like we're both like word of web and design. They are offering more of a product. Like in some sense, we're saying, you know, here are kind of the, the services, like the typical service buckets we provide. Like here is the process we go through. Here's the pricing you can expect. Here are the feedback checkpoints. True. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, I think, um, that is a way of being able to scale a services business more effectively, like creating these component pieces that you can just duplicate. Like, um, this was actually advice you guys gave me early on, which I have followed, like write all of your implementation procedures down, like every single thing you do day to day, every team member, like the way that Designly does things, the way that Word of Web does things, write it down, like turn it into a handbook. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that keeps you accountable for like keeping the same quality across projects, but also gives you the ability to just copy paste, copy paste, you know? Yep. And I think that looks really different than kind of the more like reactive services business where, which there's nothing wrong with that to be clear, but a reactive services business where, you know, you customize every single little part of the process for each client, you know, every project looks totally different. Like even though the content of every project looks very different for each of us, like we're still following the same process and using the same pieces, you know? That's true. Yeah, it's much more scalable that way. Yeah. Um, like when we write a job description, we basically tell someone exactly what, we're, what they're going to be doing. Yeah. It, it's, it's, not, it's not like you're going to be in a dynamic marketing role. It's like, you know, none of that stuff. It's like, nope, you're going to be you're going to be working on our, you know, our marketing dashboard spreadsheet. You're going to update it with Google, Anal Google Analytics. It's like super detailed. Mm -hmm. All our job descriptions are like that. And I think if you can kind of build out your org chart and say even if even if you're the only person in your org chart on day mm -hmm. one, I think knowing what the descriptions for those roles are and kind of who will fill those in the future, that's also really key to scaling a, a service yeah, company. You're so right. Writing out your your own job description when it's just you. Because yeah. then I, I use that at the beginning to see, like, basically to understand what things I shouldn't be doing. Like when I actually yeah. wrote out everything that I was doing day to day, I was like, oh my gosh, three fourths of this, I absolutely have no business doing either yep. because it's not a good use of company resources or I'm just straight up bad at it. <laughs> That's the E-Myth book, which have you read that? No, um, I know, to, I need it, to, I know. But you already did it, right? So you do your org chart and there's a lot of circles on it and it's all Caroline, but you've got the job description. And then you're like, okay, I'm overwhelmed because I'm like actually 10 people's jobs in one, but look at that circle there. That takes... 50% of my time and I can pay an accountant 200 bucks a month to do my bookkeeping yeah. and take that circle entirely off my yep. radar. Yep. And that's how you think about, you know, making Caroline less overwhelmed because yep. look, look at these pieces. And, and also it sets you up for hiring very well because that section is a marketing person would be better at that than me. And, yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And you can still find people to fill multiple <clears throat> roles too, just because you fill, you know, all the roles in the beginning, you can find someone who, um, you know, like for our business, we, we found someone who could do, 
you know, content writing and uh, like project specs for a while. And now we're kind of growing past that. And now, you know, we're getting a dedicated marketing person. Yeah. So, so it's kind of like um, you, you can find people out there who are really um, capable of doing a lot of different tasks. Um, it doesn't have to be just you in the beginning um, or, or kind of early on. Um, but just kind of with the mind of like, hey, this is probably a different skill set mm -hmm. at some point. Mm -hmm. It's really helpful. Yep. Okay. So we're running low on time, but I wanted to hit one other Great. principle for a services company. I've, I've got a family member that works at this uh, mom and pop services company. Um, and it's, you know, 25 employees. <clears throat> and, you know, I, I was I was asking some questions, you know, they're, they're kind of in a management role. And I was like, OK, how many? You know, you're, the cash in the bank, how many months of, you know, if, if all projects paused out or maybe ju just the existing customers fizzle out and you didn't get any new pipeline in, you know, what would it look like? You know, and, and, and most small services companies have no idea of how to answer that. Mm -hmm. So I think the first thing I would do for a concrete finishing business or any, any, any services company is to build what we have, which I think is a, <clears throat> a kind of secret weapon, which is a cash flow spreadsheet. It's a, it's a derivative of your profit loss from QuickBooks, dump it out, and then put in your, your revenue columns per month, you know, what you expect your deal pipeline to be. And you see all of your cost of goods changing dynamically. Mm -hmm. You see net income each month, you see cash balance, my, my business checking account, what is it doing? Yep. And we've got, you know, a couple of variants of that spreadsheet, which is like, you know, everything goes away tomorrow. Obviously yeah. not going to happen, but you know, doomsday, you know, yeah. when do you have to fire people? We, we, we tend to do that. Yeah, we, we, of we course always, we do. Yeah. yeah. We always get nervous. Yeah. Like, oh, well, how much, how much cash do we have yeah. in the bank? 2020 proved everyone... that was maybe a good move. <laughs> <laughs> like, true. We, we do yeah. it every year. We yeah. have this yeah. like, we have this like catastrophic, like. Doomsday. Yeah. yeah no, it's helpful. <laughs> if anything, it helps you like sleep easy, you know? Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, so can we stay around for, you know, how long will we stay around if, if everyone goes away tomorrow? Customers, <laughs> customers. Yeah. Next one is current customers kind of, you know, do maintenance and not much more. Yep. Third is like, you know, a reasonable understanding of, of set, informed from HubSpot sales pipeline. You, yep. you know, for a fact that I get 100 leads a month, 10% 10, 10 of them are opportunities, 10% of those become customers. And right. I could see, okay. Maybe you like marketing ROI pro too. Yeah. Project out my, my sales pipeline that I know with a relative degree of certainty that's going to close. And what does my profit at the end of the year look yep. like? Um, and then maybe another one for like growth. You don't have to be so hardcore with it. But the point is, I mean, we are literally looking at it and like, okay, we know what our bank account balance is doing. Now you can go invest in that or yep. hire that new person or make that side of my life easier by hiring out that bubble. Yep. To, you know. And, and to, to that point, like one of one of the biggest pieces of, of advice I give people starting out services businesses is make sure you factor in you yourself as the founder as a cost. Like this was a big trap I fell into at first because I wasn't paying myself a salary. Like now I am, but I at first I was just kind of taking a little bit of money out when I absolutely needed it, you know, to pay my bills. And I think if you consider yourself free labor, which is a tendency for a lot of founders, then you actually mess up your cash flow projections mm -hmm. longer term. Yeah. So I think like line iteming yourself out, even if you're not actually paying yourself that amount is really helpful because then you can start to see, you know, how that affects your finances long term. Yeah. True cash flow after you pay the salary you want. Yeah. Yep. Totally. Do you have a nugget you want to close with, Josh? A nugget? What's yeah. your nug? Well, my, my nugget on that spreadsheet, I would say, is like that we, we use that for like all of our decision making. If, if we're going to you know increase our marketing budget on something, if we're going to hire somebody, um, if we're going to do a draw and pay ourselves, it, we use it for pretty much you know every business decision. So it's it, it really, I don't know if it's like a secret weapon, but a lot of people don't do it. I think small services companies, a lot of people don't. Sub, you know. <clears throat> 30, 50 person companies that there's not a lot of them have it. The, yeah. the way a lot of people do <clears throat> business, like, you know, 
financial decisions. We did this in the very beginning. You look at your bank account balance. You're like, I think I got enough. Yeah, exactly. I, I got enough cash in here. That looks good. And then, <laughs> that balance can go down real quick. And it's tax season. And then the customer wants a refund. Every, and you're totally screwed. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Well, in the beginning, it's not it's not that big of a yeah. deal usually because you don't have a lot of expenses, so you can kind of get away with it early on. But like, if you have a business that has a lot of monthly expenses or uh, big bills that come out at certain points in time, you need something like that because you don't want to wake up one day and be like, uh oh, you know, my, bank, yep. my bank's empty. Like, you know, you don't want that. So yeah, I, I think, exactly. yeah, that, that would be my nugget is definitely invest in a, find someone to help you build one or learn to build one yourself. That's like critical, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my, Cash that's flow. my little nug. I like it. Cash good, flow is key. It's a good <laughs> nug. Yep. Yeah. I guess we'll close there, guys. Well, good chat. Sweet. Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah. All right. Well, You've been listening to The Founder Factor. Thanks for tuning in today. Um, Feel free to catch us on YouTube, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, just wherever you get your content. See you next time.